Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here. And as I um, have this time to share the word with everyone this morning, I'm going to be reading from our passage for today, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. But Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard what you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of God. Now, for the next few weeks, uh, I'm very, very excited to begin our Lent sermon series. And Lent is a season when Christians remember the events leading up to and including the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here at Metro, with churches all over the world, we believe that this is an important time of deeper reflection for both the Christian and the non-Christian. So for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is go through the gospel according to Luke. And the reason for this is Luke being one of the four gospels. Uh, this, Luke, this one in particular is filled with eyewitness testimonies. And our prayers is that through these eyewitness testimonies and all these eyewitness accounts is that it would help you lead and help you understand the realities of this broken world and that it would help us understand the sins of our hearts and ultimately the deeper love of God that exceeds these realities because of a resurrected Savior. And to start our sermon series, this morning we begin with the mission of Christ. And the reason for this is because his mission, it affirms to us not only of who he is, but ultimately of what he came to do. And what we see what he came to do was something of a radical purpose. If I can explain, you know, many even today, 
They have misunderstanding of who Jesus is and they reduce his mission in life to just being a great religious teacher or a great example of moral behavior. But when you actually examine what Jesus says, we can see that this was clearly not the case. You know, Christian apologist C.S. Lewis says it this way. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. And in our passage today, Jesus tells us of who he is. And it was not just a teacher of the law, but ultimately he's proclaiming it. He is the son of God and he has come with a great purpose. He has a mission for you and I so this morning, there are three points for us today as we navigate through this passage. The first point, his mission is for the spiritually poor. Secondly, his mission is for social renewal. And finally, his mission is accomplished. Let's dive into our first point. Now, in verse 16, Jesus is in the very early stages of his public ministry. And here we find himself in his hometown, Nazareth, and he's preaching to a congregation on the Sabbath day. And here Jesus specifically rolls down the scroll and he reads from a selected text, specifically Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. And here are these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Now, as Jesus finishes this sermon, what we see is that in verse 22, the readers, the listeners of this word, they are just loving what Jesus just shared. I mean, if this was a live stream, this would be the point where there are a massive amount of praise and prayer emojis and a whole lot of amens in the chat box. But this is where it actually gets interesting. Because as the crowd is engaged in conversation about this word and now they're questioning who uh, this preacher is, what Jesus does is he stops everything. He quiets the crowd, and in verse 23, he says, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. What does Jesus mean? Physician, heal yourself is another way of saying, Jesus, you know, I heard what you said, and, you know, it was pretty good. I'm encouraged. But now I need you to prove it by doing something special for me. In other words, Honor my requests, and then I'll consider following you. And I want you to consider this with me. Because some of us, right now, as you're listening to this, we may not admit it, but we often say this proverb in some shape or form to God right now, do we not? We often say, Jesus, if, if you say, uh, if, you, if you are who you say you are, 
give me a new career. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, uh, provide me a, a spouse. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, give me the comfort that I desire. And you, if you think about what you often command of him, the question we really need to ask is how do you view God? Do you believe him as the one to just meet your demands? Or do you believe in him as the one that already satisfies your needs? So that's what Jesus is doing. He's challenging them with what they actually believe. So how does Jesus respond to this demand? He makes it a teaching lesson. So in verse 25 through 30, Jesus, he now gives two examples from the Old Testament during the ministry of Elijah and his successor, Elisha. And what we see in verses 25 through 30 is that he's giving two examples. One was a widow. One was financially poor on the outskirts of society. And then on the other one, you have Naaman, one that was financially rich, but he was also a leper. And what we see in terms of commonality is that these two people were completely in need. They were both Gentiles, meaning that they were outsiders in their times. They were broken. They were desperate. They were ready to be outcasted. But here's the main difference between these two. And this is what's important to highlight. The widow was financially poor. But Naaman, on the other hand, was financially rich. What's the point of what Jesus is trying to say right now? Is that Jesus, he likens himself to Elijah and Elisha and says in so many words that despite their financial status, they were both in significant need. In other words, Jesus' ministry was primarily to the ones who are poor in spirit. His mission on earth was for the spiritually needy. Meaning right now, if you are spiritually weary because this past year has revealed the loneliness of your heart, well, his mission is for you. If you are spiritually broken because this past year has revealed some of your most hidden sins in the midst of crisis, well, his mission is for you. But this is what I also want to highlight in terms of the mission for us. The purpose of Jesus and his passage is very nuanced because, yes, this is for the spiritual poor. And yes, in light of that, he's referring to the outcast, the broken, the widows, and the lepers, the ones that are in spiritually in need. But Jesus, being a great teacher, he's using this as a point to reveal that Isaiah 61 is a passage about the crowd themselves. In other words, who he calls the spiritually poor are the ones that are telling Jesus to meet their needs. Physician, heal yourself. Essentially, Jesus is saying is they are the poor ones. They are the ones who are spiritually blind to themselves. And they are the ones who are oppressed by their sins. Now, how do we know this? Let's continue in the text, because when you look at verses 28 through 30, how does the Jewish crowd react? In these verses, what do we see? Is that the people in the synagogue, the ones that were so pleased with this message, 
they just snap on him. They're angry. They drove him out, and they were literally going to throw him off a cliff. But why? The Jewish crowd is furious because Jesus likened himself, himself to two great prophets and says that while there was a great need in Israel, the only ones who got helped were these two Gentiles. And now as the Jewish crowd hears this, is that they are furious. See, the Jews during Jesus' time, they were very religious people. They were good people. They kept the law. Uh, they went to temple. They memorized uh, scripture. They honored Sabbath. And, and because of this, they essentially thought that they deserved God's favor. And Jesus' teaching, it reveals that the Jewish crowd may have looked spiritually rich, but in their response, it just reveals that they are the poorest of all. Because this reveals that they really didn't love God genuinely. They loved what he could possibly do for them in an exchange of a good and moral life. Now, some of us are listening to this live stream, and you must hear me when I say that you uh, may be imprisoned to your own self-righteousness. And just like this Jewish crowd, it's making you blind to any truth about yourself. You think that you, better, you are better than what you actually are. And because of it, you only trust yourself and you're not willing to trust any other people. That you're not willing to look at scripture to convict you, but you're only looking at scripture to teach someone else. It's making you arrogant and it's making you angry and essentially is quietly robbing you of the true joy that God wants you to have in him. See, sometimes the poorest in spirit are the ones who think they aren't poor at all. They are the most blind, the most oppressed, and the most enslaved it to their sin. And Jesus' mission on earth was not simply to just teach the privileged, but was to save the ones who are poor in spirit. And the question that I have for you right now is, are you poor in spirit? And if so, what ways? What we see is that his mission is for the spiritually poor. But secondly, what we see on top of his mission is that it's also for social renewal. What's essential to highlight is that, yes, Jesus' primary mission is to save the spiritually poor. It's meant to save you and I from our sin and from our brokenness. Yet at the same time, his mission is for the sake of social renewal. So when you look back at verses 16 through 19 with me, right, we see that there is the poor, the blind, the captives, and the oppressed. And when you allude back to our first point, yes, God is referring to the ones that are spiritually blind because of sin. He is referring to the spiritually poor because they don't know the richness that they can have in God. And yes, they are spiritually oppressed because of their over-pursuit for their own desires. But scholars would also agree that this is a literal thing as well. In pre-modern societies, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, they were often the most neglected. In fact, whenever a famine would hit, it would be uh, days away from starvation and even death, and they would be ignored, leaving to die. 
So when Jesus says he came for the poor, when he comes for the blind, the captives, and the oppressed, he literally does so as well. He literally feeds those who are hungry because he is the bread of life. He literally opens the eyes of the blind because he's the light of the world. In his public ministry, he literally is reaching out to society's outcasts and marginalized. His ministry holistically was for all who are in need. And it's a reflection of who Jesus is and what his mission is about in a fragmented society. His mission is both spiritual and social. And I want to park here for just a second because I want to highlight that what's important for the church today is to not neglect this call. See, what this passage tells us is that in our society today, there is much brokenness. And in light of that brokenness, there is much mercy and justice to pursue because God reflects that very character. And I also want to highlight it's important that we're not going overboard and compromise the gospel for mission. But what I'm trying to say is that the gospel should drive us to mission because we believe that his mission always leads to renewal. See, in Jesus' ministry, whenever there's a healing, whenever there's a miracle, a demonstration of compassion, it's not just an act of social renewal, but it always leads to spiritual renewal in the church today. Richard Lovelace in his book, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life, he uh, talks about the history of revival. And there's uh, one major component where he talks about Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening and what essentially sparked revival. So he's trying to figure out what made uh, people commit their lives to Jesus, what made people want to plug in the local church. And Lovelace says this, that the most important of true revival in a person outside of gentle forgiveness, and mercy is the performance of works of mercy and justice. Pertaining to love and mercy, Jonathan Edwards says, it will bring the God of love down from heaven to earth to set up his tabernacle with men on the earth and dwell with them. See, Metro, this is why we are called to give generously and why we would encourage for generosity in, in, in a radical way. This is why we partner with numerous local organizations in the city to help issues with hunger. This is why we engage the city through prayer walks. This is why in the next five years we want to make it an appointment to engage with local churches for holistic mercy ministries. This is why we do what we do. But at the same time, we must confess that this is something we lack as a genuine care for such concerns. I mean, consider the Jewish crowd. How genuine was their care? See, they loved what he said about the poor. They loved when Jesus gave this Isaiah text to the crowd until they realized that his mission would take what they thought they should have received. And when Jesus challenges our comfort in light of a great need in our city today, we often respond just like the Jewish crowd. We respond in anger because at the heart of it all, we think we deserve more than we should. And we think others outside of our circles 
that people are actually undeserving. But look at Jesus. Look at his mission. It was both for the spiritually poor and the actually poor. His mission was to the point where he held nothing back, even if it meant that he had to humble himself as man and that he would be, as they questioned, Joseph's son. And the question I have for you and I right now is that does his mission for you, does it move you, does it genuinely shape you to seek the needs of others and to seek the needs of our city today. I mean, if his mission was to the poor and to the oppressed and to the ones that are in need, then how is this shaping you in your thinking and your giving to the broken and to the poor and to the oppressed, to the ones that are in need? If Jesus' mission was to proclaim freedom to prisoners, how is this shaping you in considering the idea that our city is, is broken and there is so much uh, uh, addiction and so much in need and how are we considering to partake in the opportunities for the peace of the city? So the question this leads us to is how can we reconcile being spiritually needy and at the same time care for the ones that are in need? How can we be this Humble. This leads us to our third point, is that his mission was already accomplished. In his reading of scripture, where he is addressing the ones that are poor in spirit, and in a message where he is addressing the brokenness of our society, Jesus says something extremely radical in the solution of this need. And in verse 21, after Jesus uh, finishes reading this text, as he's rolling up the scroll, he declares a very bold statement and he says, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus is essentially saying is that he is the one who will accomplish this mission. That he is the one that God has chosen, prepared, and sent to accomplish all that is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. And what we see is that verse 19 is actually the key to help us understand how the scripture is fulfilled. Because what we see in verse 19, prior to verse 21, is that he was there to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor, And I want to highlight this just for a little bit, because if you understand verse 19, we essentially grab the importance of today's text. See, in verse 19, when we see that the year of the, uh, in terms of the year of the Lord's favor, is what's also known as the year of Jubilee. Now, the word Jubilee is defined in Leviticus chapter 25 as the sabbatical year, and that uh, after that the sabbatical year would be something after uh, seven cycles of seven years. And at the 50th year, it would be a time of celebration and rejoicing for the Israelites. And in the year of Jubilee, it, was, it involved this year of release of debt where all prisoners and captives were set free, all slaves were released, all debts were forgiven, and all property was returned to the original owners. And on top of that, all, all labor would actually cease for the entire year, that they were actually called and they were demanded for the land to just rest. And this was one of the great benefits 
that the land was to rest, that the people were to rest, that it was not only the cancellation of debt, but it was to actually experience what freedom actually felt like. And how God freed the Israelites from their spiritual debt was because God declared a jubilee. And how God freed us from our spiritual debt was because Jesus is our jubilee. See, for you and I, there would be a greater jubilee ahead. And Jesus on the cross, he paid the debt of sin. And we would be pardoned and we would be set free at the cost of his son, Jesus Christ. And that all who come to him, who are, uh, all who come to him, they are now set free from spiritual imprisonment and captivity because of the cross. For God held his son captive to the point of death. See, our spiritual debt was forgiven once and for all so that we could be given the promise of new life, true rest, and ultimate jubilee. And because of the cross, because of his perfect work and his blood shed for us, Jesus Christ is now our jubilee. And it gives us freedom from our spiritual brokenness and it leads us to care for others that are broken as well. Because Jesus is our jubilee, we know that he can meet all of our spiritual needs because Jesus Christ is our jubilee, we know that we can no longer be captives and, and chained from our spiritual bondage. Because Jesus Christ is our jubilee, we know that we are no longer spiritually blind to the glory of God. And because he is our jubilee, we can cry out for freedom and renewal for the sake of our city. And when we understand that he is our jubilee, what it does is that he gives us the confidence and it gives us the insurance that he meets us right where we are, broken and weak. And that what it does, it allows you to be more honest and more humble about our spiritual needs. And the question for us right now is how do we apply this text today? The biggest implication of jubilee is the importance of rest. Jesus says that the mission is fulfilled in your listening, meaning the mission is fulfilled in your reliance on me. It's fulfilled in your faith. It's fulfilled in your trust. And just like this time of Jubilee, it was a time where uh, there was no work and the ground rested. Right? I'm not saying that you're not meant to work. We're still supposed to work. But what this Jubilee tells us is that it should free us from our works-based lifestyle and it turns into a faith-based trust. And that we can follow the Sabbath. We can keep in that command. That in your spiritual walk, we can rest. What does rest mean right now today? It means that you take it seriously is that you take it seriously and you remove these uh, misunderstandings that it's about how you work for salvation. It means that you read scripture genuinely. It means is that you pray faithfully and that you commit to his mission. And my hope and my prayer this morning is that it would challenge all of us right now. For the skeptics right now, for the ones that are just getting them back to the church, 
it would help you debunk the myth that God seeks you for how perfect you are. And it reminds you that he came for you, spiritually broken just as you are. And for the seasoned church member, that it would challenge you and make you really ask yourself, is do you really love God for who he is or do you really love him for what you're trying to get from him? The gospel is for the spiritually needy, for all of us. Would you consider to place your trust in him? Pray with me.